Have any of you ever noticed that we're busy people? Hurried people? Preoccupied people? That it's easy to rush through life without seeing the crazy pace we live at? Or, or to actually miss the bigger picture of life? Let me give you an example uh, from the other day. I was going to take care of my grandson, and apparently on the road I was going to take, there was a bad accident, and it normally takes about 50 minutes to get up there, uh, a little shorter if you're my wife driving. She drives faster than I do. But, uh, but, but it takes about 50 minutes, and it said it was going to take two hours because there was a... Uh, the traffic jam because of an accident, and any other route, it was raining, any other route didn't look good. Um, so I was right from the get-go running late. Now, before I was a follower of Jesus, I used to drive very fast. You know the guy going down the parkway to the beach, going 125, weaving in and out of traffic? That was me. And then when I became a follower of Jesus, I started to drive slow. Sometimes my wife says, too slow. Uh, sometimes we're driving, and she goes, are you even going the speed limit? So last Tuesday, I was late, and so uh, the people in the left lane were paying no attention to speed limits at all. They were on the Autobahn of New Jersey. So I decided I was going to get in the left lane with them and go in the flow of traffic. So let me confess, I was flagrantly speeding. As I'm going up, I'm coming around a bend. I notice in the far right lane, there's a car going very slow, maybe even observing the speed limit. And they had a fish on the back of their car. And I was actually in the moment. You know how your mind works quickly. I was really convicted of my sin. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, what is wrong with me? I'm always in such a hurry. And they're obeying the law. They have the peace of God, and I don't. <laughs> and and what, what am I doing? So as I came past them, I, you know how you look, you see something on the back of a car, you got to look at the other driver. Am I the only one who thinks like that? And so I look at this other driver, and it, it's a woman, and she has the visor down, her mirror open, and she's putting her makeup on <laughs> as she's driving. So I said, the heck with that. I stayed in my lane, and I kept speeding. <laughs> I didn't feel so bad after that. But, uh, man, life can be such a busy rush. In the last few weeks, we have been looking at the second coming of Jesus Christ and challenging ourselves is how much do we really think about it? Or are we so busy with life? Are we so preoccupied with life that we're really not paying much attention to it? And, and specifically, how does God want me to think about uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ and live in reality with the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and has promised that he is going to come back, and his feet are actually going to land again on planet Earth. And as we've seen that it, in Matthew chapter 24, it will be a time of, of great joy for a true follower of Jesus Christ, and it will be a time of mourning and judgment for those who are not followers of Jesus Christ. Well, if you weren't with us last week, you, want to know, you might want to know when will it be? And we just did one verse last week, Matthew 24, 36, and uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples on the Mount of Olives. We call this the Mount of uh, the Olivet Discourse. It is his, uh, he's given up uh, no more public speaking. He's going to not teach the masses anymore, only his, his disciples, his apostles. And Jesus said this to them, but of that day, 
the, this day of the second coming, an hour no one knows. So we're all in the dark on it. We talked about that last week. We talked about why Jesus even did not even know last week. And you might want to say that the actual time when Jesus is coming is in the vault. It's under lock and key. Nobody, nobody really knows. And so while the scripture is really not clear to us on the timing of Jesus' return, and we've talked in the weeks past, there's some probably good reasons God has for that. It, it is, the scripture is clear on how followers of Jesus should think about his return and how we are to live in light of his return. And uh, it's very interesting that the second coming gives us uh, a certainty and a confidence in Jesus' return, but but at the same time, uh, by not knowing, it keeps us on our toes. It it keeps us really wondering when it is going to be. Uh, In in, in this section that we're now moving into and in chapter 5, there's principles that are to be applied no matter what your eschatological position is. Now, if you haven't been with us and you don't know what that word means, eschatology is the study of the end times. And in talking to most of you, um, most of you, uh, your, your belief system is your, what we call panmillennialists. That means you believe it's just going to all pan out in the end. So, so you're not so much into, this, into some of this other stuff that a lot of us are into. uh, And and so what are some principles? Principle number one is that the return of King Jesus will be sudden. It will be unexpected and it will be quick. And uh, for many, it will be when they least expect it. And Jesus does not want one of his followers to be one of those people. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, we're glad you're here. But Jesus doesn't want you to be one of these people like, I had no idea. I, I, I didn't know he was coming. And, and so the, in light of that, the second principle is that no matter what is going on in your life, Jesus doesn't want you to lose hope. He doesn't want you to lose hope. He wants you just to have the confidence and the certainty that he, that he will return. And in light of that, he wants us to be alert. And he wants us to be prepared. So a lot of times we talk about God's part and our part. God's part is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Our part is to be ready now. And as much as, you know, we've talked about the end times industries that that pop up and these kind of things, I I really think that being prepared and being ready is is really essential or one of the most essential parts of Jesus' whole teaching here in 24 and 25 in, again, the Olivet Discourse. So the title of our message today is Be Ready at All Times with a subtitle of The Unexpected Return of Jesus. So whether it's the second coming or our own death, we all know that life goes fast, doesn't it? Life is, is fragile. Life is fleeting. And Jesus is saying that we always have to be prepared. Well, what, is, what does that mean? I think for a follower of Jesus, it's, it's the reminder that we are to live our lives in, in communion with God. We were made to, to know God and to, and to relate to him and, and to you know, communicate with him. We are to take each day and do that and, and realize that God gives 
us each day out of his grace and mercy and to think of ways we can make a difference in and for the kingdom of God. And uh, for those of you in the financial uh, industry, or maybe you know a lot about that stuff, I would say that a, a solid follower of Jesus has a balanced portfolio. They are ready for Jesus to return at any moment. They're ready to die today, and they're ready to live much longer. Last week, we talked about uh, what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 29, 29, where he said, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. That was what we talked about last week, the day and the hour of his return. But those things which are revealed belong to us. And that's what he's going to start to do now. He's going to reveal to us, it belongs to us, how to, uh, how to get ready and to our children forever that we may do the words of this law. Not just so we know the stuff, but so we actually do this stuff. So, uh, again, Jesus is teaching his disciples privately. The cross is just a couple of days away. They're in, they're in Jerusalem for Passover week. The, the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday has already happened. The, 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 the back and forth with the religious leaders and the teaching of the temple has, has already happened. And, and what Jesus is doing right now is he's, he's, he's desiring to fill and unexpected people with expectancy. Both his own audience, which would be the people right in front of him, the apostles at the moment, but us as well. But not so we're nervous or kind of uptight about the second coming of Jesus, but more so that we would rest in it. So we would be, we would be confident, and we, again, we would be ready. So Jesus talks about, uh, in classic Old Testament fashion, by comparing a wise man and woman uh, to a fool, even though he's going to call them a wicked person. And, and to the fool, uh, expectancy is foolish. I mean, what do you mean you're living for Jesus to return? You've got, you got to be kidding me. But there's more to it than just an attitude of expectancy. There's, there's also actions associated with it. So God expects us to, to wait and to work expectantly. He, remember, we've said many times before that waiting on the Lord doesn't mean that we just sit around and do nothing. Waiting on the Lord is what we do while we're waiting for the Lord to do what he said he is going to do or for him to fulfill his promises. So what will it be like before Jesus returns? Well, Jesus teaches us in verses 37 through 39 that it's going to be like the days of Noah. So he's going to take the apostles back to a, a Bible passage from Genesis that they're very familiar with, and he's going to take them back about, about 2,300 years. And he says this, uh, but, as in the days of, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Son of Man, Jesus' favorite name for himself from the prophet Daniel. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. So what would we say they were doing? They're living life. They're just living life until that day Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the son of man be. So it's as if Jesus is saying, listen, when I come back, it's going to be very similar to, let's say, the attitudes of what was going on in Noah's day. Uh, For lack of some better terms, people are going to be careless and clueless about God's judgment. 
This is going to be the last thing uh, on their radar. They are, they're going to be so absorbed in themselves that the things of God mean nothing to them. Does that sound like maybe anybody you know? So really interesting. You know, 2,300 years for them, 4,300 years for us, like it was written this morning. So, the, so how relevant the, the scripture continues to be. Now, what I find very interesting is that in the Old Testament, the teaching on the the days of Noah was that the people were great sinners. But Jesus doesn't mention that here, perhaps because judgment has already happened upon them. What What he talks about is the unexpected suddenness of judgment. That's his that's his emphasis there. It's not it's not on on what they were doing. And the New Testament tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness now, we, the number they give us in the scriptures, it looks like he's building the ark about 120 years. And during that time, he's a preacher of righteousness. And you could just imagine, uh, well, we, most Bible scholars believe the world had not seen rain, uh, depending upon a lot of different timing things. If there was a canopy over the earth or they had not seen a flood, there's all kinds of debates on that stuff. But, but here's this guy, and he's just building this big, humongous boat and on dry land, like, what a, what a nut job. And, and he's, he's preaching righteousness to them. And you could just imagine what it would be like. You talk to people about God, and they're like, well, I'm glad it works for you, Noah. You know, build your boat, man, whatever. Just leave me alone. And, and, you know, people, you try to talk to people about God, and they automatically come with certain assumptions. Maybe they're like, oh, well, you're a hater. Or, you know, you're, you're this or, or you're that. And so they, you know, thanks for your opinion, Noah, but, you know, we don't really want to talk about it. And, and Jesus' point is really very simple, that, that people will be going about life, and then boom, he's going to show up. And, and, but by then it will be too late to put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven. So I think Jesus is sort of making a back-ended case to us right now that he expects his followers to expect him, that we're not to live like those people, clueless and, and, and careless. And, and so how do we do it? Well, we are vigilant in our faith. We're vigilant in our trust of Jesus. We are abounding, as the scripture says, in, in the work of the Lord It also means, I think, to be on our guard against being careless and unprepared. And let's just be honest for a second. Family, right? Friends, right? Some of you are like, I don't like you, Pastor Jim. Okay, well, family. (laughs) So so being not thinking about such things comes very easy to us, doesn't it? I mean, it's so easy to get absorbed in in the things of life. It's easy to get, uh, you know, overwhelmed and... Um, just just consumed with all of the different things that you have to do and all of the different projects. And, and it just seems, you know, it just keeps coming at you and coming at you and coming at you. And, and the result is when we don't keep our focus on God, at least I know in my own life and in the lives of many of my closest friends and people of, that, I, that I know, just what happens is we just become so distracted. And this is the age of distraction, and so we become so distracted, and, and then what happens is when we become distracted from the things of God, worldly desires, things that we really don't want in our lives as Christians, seem to become more appealing to us. 
and we can very easily begin to, to rationalize them. And then we, we sort of waft into this, we drift into this, and it's not always easy to see. It's easy for the people around us to see. <laughs> but then we, we drift into this, this sort of spiritual malaise or this spiritual dullness because we just haven't kept ourselves sharp. Now, it's important to see, and please don't misunderstand it here, there's nothing wrong with the daily things of life. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why God put us here. The problem occurs when we become so wrapped up in them that we begin to neglect the things of God, that all of the responsibilities that we have and all the things that we need to do become more important to us than the, than the things of God. And it's very interesting to me that I've been thinking about this on this Sunday. Now you say, why this Sunday? You know, traditionally I have noticed, and some of you are new to this area, I understand that, but when Christ, to me, when Christians struggle the most in the Northeast is actually August. Uh, if, you, if you're not from here, uh, you think you've experienced our humidity. You haven't yet. <laughs> and, so, and so vacation, August is vacation month in, in the Northeast. That's when a lot of people are on vacation. And that's when we really get sloppy with our faith. We, we bring a big stack of spiritual books to read. And then all we do is we read Self Magazine or something like that. Isn't it amazing we went from people to us to self? Uh, so so we, 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 we bring all of these. Some of you just got that. Uh, so so we, bring these, we, we bring all this stuff to read. And now I'm going to read this much in my Bible. I'm going to read this book. I'm gonna, and we're like, why do we bring books on vacation? We don't read them. And, and so... And so August is a time when a lot of people really struggle with their faith, and then it kind of moves into September. And the, the second month, if, if you're new to these parts, uh, the second part, I don't, just don't get at all. The second month that people struggle the most with their faith in the Northeast is December, because they're so busy getting ready for the holiday, they have no ready for the God of the ho- no time for the God of the holiday. <laughs> They're so overly concerned about what their family's going to think and, and presents and gifts and all that stuff. They have no time for God. And I think we all know that materialism and leisure can subtly and easily lead us into a sense of false security. We're drifting. We don't even know it. And a, and a self-centered selfishness that we're all prone to. Now, here's the danger. I want to repeat it twice because it's something that I know lurks in all of us, that when it comes to the things of God, a forgetful mind will lead to a hard, cold, and indifferent heart. I want to say it again so you're like, oh, the first time stung bad. Maybe it'll sting a little bit more because sometimes, you know, you see in Jesus' teaching, there's a little bit of an edge, there's a little bit of a sting, sometimes a lot to it. So we hear it, a forgetful mind will lead to a hard, cold, and indifferent heart. And so what happened, all those years Noah was building that ark and preaching righteousness to people, uh, Noah was becoming more and more ready, and the rest of the people were becoming less and less ready. And, and Noah got on at the right time, and the rest of the people were surprised. Noah didn't need any signs from God. He just trusted in the word of the Lord. That's why he was ready when the flood of God's judgment came, and that's why he was saved from God's judgment. 
Now, other religions chip away at our readiness. Now, some of you think, oh, no, Pastor Jim, I'm, I'm only Christian. I don't have to worry about that. No, I'm talking about some of the other religions that are, would not be considered world religions. Um, the, world, the religion of materialism, that, that, that really that chips away at our readiness. The, the big religion that's probably the fastest growing religion in our country right now is the religion of politics. And that's really chipping away at our, our readiness. Uh, how about the religion of self? Or, or the, the religion of, of sex and sexuality? I mean, I could just imagine aliens coming to the United States of America, and they're like, is this all these people talk about? The, the religion of science or scientism. Just this, this unchecked narcissism that so many people lead their lives in, and, you know, those, those cell phone, blasted cell phones are, are, not, are not really helping with these things. So just like the days of Noah, as Jesus said, the world will be chugging along, uh, unaware and unsuspecting that judgment is near. And the judgment, again, it doesn't have to be the second coming. It could just be, we could just die. So, so what will it be like when Jesus returns? Well, he tells us in verse 40 and 41, he says, Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Verse 41, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other will be left. Now, these could be family members. A lot of times these were family, you know, businesses. They had a farm and stuff like that. And, and so you could have two people growing up in the same house. All of a sudden, one's gone and the other one's still there. Now, I'm going to get into a little bit of end times discussion just for a second. Is, is if, you, if you believe in, in the rapture of the church before the tribulation, you would probably say... I would be in this camp that that one will be taken away in judgment because God will be returning with his people. Uh, Jesus will be returning to the earth. Uh, If you don't believe that, if you believe it's all going to happen at the same time, then you would believe that the opposite of that. Now, just remember, just because you believe it doesn't make it true. Remember, we've said that many times before. We always need to tell that to people just because we believe it doesn't make it true. And and. Either way, though, the, the door of opportunity has been shut. I mean, you could, you could, we could sit and we could debate this stuff, who's taken away and who's left. But, but, but either way, the door of opportunity is shut. Now, I, I personally believe it's like the days of Noah where the people are taken away in the waters of judgment. But, but I'm not really so sure that's what Jesus wants us to figure out here. I think that regardless of where you would come down on this, even if you care or you're just like, no, Jim, I'm told you, I'm pan, man. It's all going to pan out, <laughs> right? Um, because I think the emphasis here is on separation, that somehow God is going to separate at the very end believers from unbelieving people, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and those who have not And if you're always wondering, why don't you state your position so emphatically? Because I don't want our church to divide over positions on eschatology or end times that that we may or may not be right or wrong. I always always joke with you. I promise not to gloat in heaven that I was right. I won't do that to you. But, but, you know, I don't want us to divide over that. There's no reason to divide over that. That's That's not an issue worth dividing over. 
And so the, the lesson is really simple. If you put your trust in Jesus and you live for God, you'll be with God. And if you choose to have, you know, little or no thought of God, you will, you don't trust in Jesus, you won't have any part with God. Now, some people say that's kind of a cruel statement. It's really not. God is completely honoring. God will let you have your choice. God will respect your choice. As C.S. Lewis said, the, the, the door or the gate to, to hell is locked from the inside. Is that he's, God's not going to make people go to live with him forever who don't want to live for heaven. But again, we must see what Jesus is talking about here is it's going to be so unexpected. That's what it's going to be. I mean, look at these people. Where were they? They were at work. They were just at work. It was an ordinary day. And like, all of a sudden, Jesus came and it was, it, it was gone. It, it, was like, it was like the day the World Trade Towers came down. I didn't live up in this area at that time. Where I lived, the train line was down. And so the people in my whole area who worked in the city, and most of them did, they were fine. Nobody could get to work. My, my, my neighbor, Doug, worked at the Port Authority. He used to go in at like 4.30 in the morning or something like that. He watched the towers come down when he was in Jersey City because it took him that long to get to, to work. One day I'm out cutting my front lawn and you know, you know, I waved to him. He came, he was running, and he, I waved to him. And, you know, when I turned the lawnmower, and you know, you, like, you feel like somebody's watching you. You know, and I, and I turned, and I wasn't a pastor. He was a Christian man. He knew I was a Christian man. I owned a trucking company. And I turned, and, and Doug was just standing there. He was just crying. He was like, why did God pick my train to be broken? He's like, I lost everybody in my office. Everybody. Nobody made it. Nobody. You know, he's like, guys, were, you know, I know their wives and their kids. They kissed them goodbye, and it was just, they were just gone. That, it was that quick. And that's the kind of thing that Jesus is, is talking about here. It was just an ordinary day. Nobody thought anything of it. That's what it's going to be. Verse 42, Jesus says, watch therefore. Some of your versions say, be on alert. This is what we call a present imperative. Imperative is a command. Present means in the moment. So it means to be constantly watching, constantly being on the alert. Why? Jesus says, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. What did Jesus just call himself? The Lord. Verse 43, but know this. It's almost like he's like, but you know this that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You're thinking, oh, I know when he's coming. No, you do not expect it. So in light of what Jesus has been saying here, he says, you, you have to be watching and you have to be ready. But that's not a momentary thing. He says you always have to be watching. You have to keep watching and you have to always be ready. And since we don't know the day of his coming, Jesus is teaching us to live in a state of constant readiness. Constant readiness. 
Someone asked uh, Martin Luther on a Sunday one time, the service had just ended, and they said, what would you do if you knew the Lord was coming this afternoon? He was like, I'd go home, eat lunch, and take a nap. Why? Because he was ready. <laughs> because he was ready. He's going to go about his, his thing. It's like, not like, oh, I've got, I, I've got three hours to get right with God. Right? He's not, he was ready to go. And this is a big part of discipleship. Not date setting. You say, Pastor Jim, you're always down in the date setters. Because they're always wrong. <laughs> like, you know, show me one who's always right and I'll listen to the guy. But they're always wrong. So what does living ready mean? It means persevering in holy living, being about our heavenly father's business, living a life that's pleasing to God, which we just talked about last Wednesday. If you're with us, you'll never know what is pleasing to God unless you're reading the Bible and you're letting God tell you what is pleasing to him. And here in verse 43 and 44, he says, listen, you would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. He shows us that watching is not always passive. And he, and he likens his coming to being a thief. Now, don't, Jesus is not a thief. So don't be like, you know, that's why I don't read the Bible. Jesus is a thief. I don't, I don't believe this stuff. Here Jesus says, if a thief told you when or that he was going to rob your house, that he was coming, you would not be passive about it. You wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, well, let me tell you when I'm going on vacation. Here's the alarm code. Here's the keys. <laughs> right. I have no homeowner's insurance. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. He says, you wouldn't help the guy. You would, you would be prepared. You would get ready. You would take security measures. You would watch day and night. You'd always be on your guard. That's why the New Testament often uses the word thief for the return of Jesus Christ. Why? So we're ready. So we don't lose the fire. So we don't get sloppy. So we either get or stay vigilant. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul teaching a church of new believers in Thessalonica. He said, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verses 2 through 4, he says, For you yourselves know perfectly, he had taught them this, that the day of the Lord, the, the day of the judgment, so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, <laughs> whenever I watch the news and the people are like, oh, the economy's never been better. Things are not great. Things are wonderful. I'm always like, oh, is that peace and safety, Lord? <laughs> when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, a word for believers. What is he saying? But you guys, Paul's saying, we're different. We're different people. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should not overtake you as a thief. So what is he telling us? He's telling us that unexpectedness and unpreparedness is inexcusable for a follower of Jesus. Jesus says, you don't, you don't know the day that I'm coming, you got to get ready. The Apostle Paul says you always have to be ready for Jesus to come back. And the idea of being ready is, is connected to the idea of being saved. The people that were saved in Noah's day was Noah and his family. They got in the boat and they were saved. And so that's the part of the idea of being ready. Those who put their trust in Jesus Christ will be saved by Jesus Christ. So, so you say, well, why... 
why does Jesus refer to himself? Or why does Jesus talk about this, this coming day of the Lord, which is really a time period, but this ultimate return of him as a thief? To stress, it's, 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 he's using it as an example or a metaphor to stress the unexpected and also how difficult it will be for those people who are not prepared for it. It will be extremely difficult. In the next section, we'll see that being prepared includes being faithful, seeking the kingdom of God first, not the kingdom of self first. And so a, a follower of Jesus who is really committed to Christ is, is open to what the Lord is doing, even open to the unexpected, even finding rest and confidence in the Lord's plans. But the people that are holding on to this world, like, like, like this is it, they, they will not be ready and they will be caught off guard. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I just want to just for a second just say to you, and I've only been a follower of Jesus half my life, the second half, <laughs> and, and this is one of the greatest things about being a follower of Jesus is that there's something to look forward to, that the best is yet to come. I mean, really, this life is depressing if this is it. We live in the richest society that the world has ever seen. And yet we are the most depressed society that the world has ever seen. Why? Because stuff and wealth and comfort cannot bring you joy and satisfaction. Limited to an extent... But ultimately, it can't. We were not built that way. We were not designed to be that way. And so sometimes when I meet people and, and they tell me they're not followers of Jesus, I go, okay, I go, how are you going for it in this life, man? Like, are you going through the motions? That, I couldn't think of anything more boring. You know, that's why I used to party so much in my 20s, because I was so bored. I was so bored. People are like, oh, deep inner problems. I'm like, I'm bored silly. I'm like, this is it? This is it? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? Where's the merry part, man? And so next, Jesus illustrates by describing two servants. He compares them. One's a faithful servant. The other one he calls an evil servant. And he's telling us, don't be fooled, don't be lured to sleep by the delay of Jesus' coming. Verse 45, he tells us, he begins to tell us what we should be doing when he returns. He says, who then is a faithful and wise servant? Let me just stop there for a second. Is that what you want heaven to say about you? Seriously. You want a bunch of angels kind of over in the corner going, hey, look. There's a wise and faithful servant. Or do you want him to be going like, what an idiot, right? Is that what you want? Don't you, what do you want? How do you want heaven to think of you? I want to be thought at least as semi-wise, right? And, and so he goes, look at this. He goes, who then is the wise, faithful and wise servant who has master, has made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? So the master's away. And he says, hey, make sure you feed the people while I'm away. Now, they would be thinking physical food, but we're spiritual. Oh, Jesus, spiritual food. And we wonder, 
Church in America is very sickly right now. Very sickly right now. Why? Because not many pastors are feeding the flock the word of God. They're not feeding them spiritual food. They're They're feeding them cotton candy, which they love. Eat it all day long. And so they're not feeding them. And so the, so the church is, is, is very, very weak. And then so he says, feeding them food in good due season, which I think connects to verse 46, which is a beatitude, if you remember from Matthew chapter 5 through 7. He says, blessed is that servant. Now, he just talked about feeding the people, right? And now he says, blessed is that servant. So let's bring it to where we all live. Blessed is that children's ministry teacher. There's some people in that room on the other side of the facility. And they're teaching your brats. I mean, your wonderful kids. Not a number of brats. I love them all. They're teaching them. But, you know, they had to prepare their lesson during the week. When no one but God was watching. And they're feeding that little flock in there. God says, oh, blessed are they. Blessed are the community group leaders who who have to get everything ready to lead a community group and to, to, you know, help people understand the word of God while the sign-ups in September. Some of you are discipling someone. You've been a believer for a while and you have some newer believers in your life and, and you're taking them under your wing and, you're, and you're, you're feeding them the word of God. Jesus says, blessed is that servant. Some of you are mommies and daddies and, and, and you're trying to get, you know, that little four-year-old to listen to those little Jesus stories. Stay at it. Don't give up. Don't give up. And, and, and Jesus sees that, and he says, blessed is that servant. Some of you are grandmothers and grandfathers, and maybe your kids don't want to raise you know, your grandchild in the things of the Lord, but anytime you get them, you want to pray with them for, before meals, you want to read them little Jesus stories, you want to tell them those things. Jesus says, blessed is that servant. I could go on and on and on and on. There's another thing I want heaven to say about me. I want heaven to say about you. Blessed is that servant. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. The idea is find them doing good. Assuredly, when Jesus says assuredly, that means it's very important. Some of your versions say, truly, I tell you, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. What a promise. Man, you think, well, I'm not really doing much. I'm, I, I, people say to me, well, I'm just, a, I'm like, stop that. Stop that. Don't talk like that. Whatever you are doing for the kingdom of God is important. And Jesus says, when you are faithful, he makes a promise to you that he's going to promote you. So he starts with the faithful servant. And there's two illustrations, both to meant us to consider how prepared are we really for Jesus' return. This servant is faithful and wise. Another version says sensible. Someone appointed by God to be responsible over the work of the Lord. 
let us all understand something very, very important. Jesus Christ left this earth, and he left someone with the work of the Lord. Do you know who that someone is? His church. That's who he left. He left his church to be about his work and his business. And this is a way we please the Lord, we serve the Lord, and we demonstrate our readiness for his next move or the second coming. And this is God's heart for his people, whether you are a leader or not. And a lot of times people read this stuff and they go, oh, this is only for the leaders. No, this is for everybody. Besides, it's been said that you'll never be a good leader until you are a good follower. And for those of you who are leaders, you desire to be a leader, I'll pick on the dads for a moment. Please remember this. Very important. Leaders are to be the example, not the exception. Leaders are to be the example, not the exception. God's heart is that we would be faithful in whatever it is that God has given us to do. And maybe some of us need to make a better effort at trying to figure those things out. And because we're really not a true servant until we are an active servant. And the sad truth is that Jesus knows that many who profess to be his servants are really not and care little for the work of the Lord. And the best way I have found to cure that is to dedicate to yourself this week a lot of time focusing on Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you, serving you on the cross. And when you realize that Jesus is a servant serving you, that's when you will become a servant of Jesus. And until you see Jesus as serving you, I don't think you'll really become much of a servant of Jesus. You see, people who see Jesus dying on the cross for their sins, serving them, they're the kind of people that they just keep serving, and people are like, oh, thank you so much for all your service to the Lord, and they're like, what are they talking about? Like, it doesn't even, it doesn't even dawn on them. They don't think that way, because they're just so grateful for what Jesus has done for them. There once was a man, and, and his health was bad, and, and people were telling him, you need to slow down. You need to stop serving the Lord so much. You, you, need, to, you need to take it easy. That man was one of the greatest influencers in Christianity the world has ever seen. And when he was sick and people were telling him to slow down, listen to what John Calvin said. Would you have my master find me idle? Would you have him come back and find me taking it easy? That to me is so inspiring. That is so inspiring. That's the kind of stuff you type out and you put on your, com on your computer or you put on your refrigerator or you put somewhere you're going to see all the time. No matter how you're feeling or how things are going against you, would you have my master find me idle? You see, loved ones, the, the test of your work is not when the boss is there. 
The test of your work is when the boss is not there. The test is not your talk, but the test is, are you helpful? We can talk about Jesus all we want, but if we are not responsible, if we are not contributing to the work of the Lord, there is actually little evidence that we belong to the Lord. We want to be about our master's work. Faithfulness is like integrity. It is demonstrated when no one is watching. And that's a time when people tend to do their own thing. But faith is living faithfully in faith and with faith in an invisible God. This servant does their job with all diligence, without knowing, or even seemingly to be that concerned, like Luther, about when the master is going to return. He is so focused on his work, the master can come back at any time, and Jesus says, he will be rewarded. But notice the reward. He says at the end of verse 47, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. The reward is not ease. The reward is not, 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 oh, it's going to be easy for you from now on. What's the reward? More work. More work. The opportunity to serve with more responsibility. Having been faithful in the little things, God will give him more. Verse 48, we move into this evil servant, more like the days of Noah. He says, but if that evil servant, some versions say wicked, notice it doesn't say foolish, says in his heart, my master is delaying. You see, the other guy, the master was delayed, and what did he do? He stayed busy at it. This guy, you know what this guy's like? This guy is like, when a junior high teacher says to the boys, I'm going to be gone for five minutes. Everybody stay in your, in your seat. You know, middle school boys, stay in your seat. What a joke. All the middle school teachers are like, yeah, that's impossible. You come back in. One's out the window. Another one's down the hallway. Pull on the girl's hair. Stole somebody's cell phone. It was just, that's what this guy's like. He says, my master is delaying his coming. I don't know, but I wonder if Jesus is giving us a little hint there. I can't say, just this is the kinds of things that I think about. And begins to beat his fellow servants. Well, he's not much of a servant, is he? And to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and in an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two. Now you're like, is that what Jesus is going to do? I'm going to repent right now. Well, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. <laughs> I don't think that's I don't think that we're supposed to take that literal because the person's still alive as the sentence goes on and he will appoint him his portion with the hypocrites that's like the lowest of the low in the scripture there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth that's an expression for hell so this servant believes that the master is delayed he says in his heart oh I have plenty of time Plenty of time. But he's wrong. Or maybe he's even so foolish, he says, my master will never return. There's an old expression that tomorrow is the most one of the most dangerous words in the English language. 
Boy, it is so easy to say, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll take care of it tomorrow. And tomorrow never comes. He thinks he will never be called into account. He lacks restraint. He acts as he wants. He puts off faith. Bible scholars question, is this guy a total unbeliever and someone or someone who's in the church and not really a believer? Let's leave that thought to the side and just say this. It doesn't matter. Their fate is still the same. And I know what I'm about to say is wildly unpopular, but Jesus demonstrates it here. Jesus is using the prospect of hell tomorrow as a motivation to get people to turn to God and put their trust in him today. We tell people, oh, Jesus loves you. Everybody's like, he loves everybody. What's so special about that? Jesus is like, you're going to get cut in two and go to hell. <laughs> right? Seriously. Seriously. You know what that is? That's a warning from love. That's a warning from love. That is just trying to be honest with people. Jesus calls himself the master of that servant, and and it seems to be indicating that we all have a duty to God, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. But this servant postponed his responsibility. He was responsible with work given to him by the Lord, but he doesn't do it. Why? Because he's his own master. He's his own guy. He's not going to serve anybody. But Jesus is so emphatic here. He says the master will come. Not maybe. Not, you know, don't don't take a gamble on it. No, he says the master will come. And the thing is, by then it will be too late to repent. Jesus wants to know that that his delay does not mean that he canceled his flight. His delay does not mean a canceled return. Now, a lot of people in modern American society but say, well, but, but doesn't God forgive everyone? No. No. Only those who ask him for forgiveness with a humble and penitent heart and put their trust in Jesus. And the result of that is the forgiveness of sins and eternal life and the righteousness of Jesus Christ is given to you. We call it the great exchange. I think it was Luther who called it that first. The great exchange. Jesus gets our sin on the cross and we get his righteousness in God's eyes. Psalm 1 verse 5 and 6 says this, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way, way of the ungodly shall perish. Sometimes there's some words we have to hang on to. Maybe you're here today and you feel like, well, I'm trying to follow God, but I'm not so sure he notices me. He says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But we need to be careful because it's so easy to lose focus. We have to keep our focus on him. Or even worse, we can be so busy in life that we never put our trust in Jesus. The people thought Noah was crazy. But Noah was saved by the grace of God through faith. How? He got on that boat. 
He stepped onto that ark. The flood was God's judgment. If you want to know what God thinks of sin, look at the cross. There you see God's judgment against sin. And the ark, the ark is, 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 represents the type of, of Jesus Christ. And so we are saved from the penalty of sin when we are in Christ, as Noah was in the ark, because Jesus got on the cross. And so we are saved by the grace of God, through our faith, through our trust in Jesus. Jesus died on the cross so you could be saved. He rose from the dead to prove that it was true and to prove that he could give you eternal life. The other night, Pam and I were lying in bed and we were just talking about something, verses that the Lord had been just laying on our heart recently. And I told her that I, I just can't get John 14, 9 out of my head where John said to the apostle, 14, 9 or 14, 19 out of my head, Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. Thinking about all the different things that come across my desk and my email and all the problems and all the difficulties, just holding on to the fact that Jesus said, because I live, you will live also, Jim. Because that tomb is empty, your grave will be empty too. Let me ask you, my non-Christian friend, do you want that life? Do you want that confidence that because he lives, you are going to live as well? Put your trust in Jesus today. Because if you do, the one, if you're not a follower of Jesus, God is your judge. But once you put your trust in Jesus, he becomes your father. Do you want to judge when you die? Or do you want a father? And when he becomes your father, you can begin to get ready to meet Jesus Christ face to face, whether it be in death or in his second coming. Well, let's pray.